Christ is risen. We're going to work on that. We're going to work on that. Christ is risen. Amen. That's some reason to celebrate. Amen. So let me just uh, tell you, we've been, uh, if you haven't been here, we've been in an incredible worship series talking about all these covenants that led up and kind of feed into this Christmas story. And I like the name of the Messianic Covenant because I think it doesn't get much messier than a crucifixion and everything that we experience during Holy Week. Uh, you know, uh, these covenants started way back in the Garden of Eden when, when uh, we became aware of sin, right? And then, uh, and then that was our kind of breaking of the promise. But God overcomes this, and, and, and throughout history, God has just extended this beautiful grace after grace after grace. God extended grace to Noah when, when God uh, set the stage upon the world for Christ's redemption to play out, amen? I mean, that was incredible. And then God planted the seeds of God's children through Abraham and Sarah, and then God uh, used uh, Moses to set a standard for the relationships that, would, that we would uh, have with God and with each other, right? And so we got the law from the Mosaic Covenant. And then there was the priestly covenant. And Moses' brother Aaron was used uh, in order to uh, provide a priestly succession that would ultimately end with Jesus. And so we keep building up to this moment with Jesus, <laughs> Last week, we talked about the Davidic covenant and how uh, right there, there's this uh, uh, sovereignty that is established in the Davidic covenant where, where not only is Jesus the ruler of the religious, but also the ruler of a kingdom, a new kingdom that's coming. And now we talk about the Messianic covenant. We've experienced it all week in profound ways here on Monday, Thursday, and then again in the sanctuary on Friday. We've talked about and recounted kind of all of the events that, that went up. But you know, this is different because we're not just recalling an event. Now we're proclaiming a risen Savior. So when I say Christ is risen, amen, your section gets the gold award. <laughs> all right, today... We're going to be doing something that's out of the lectionary, actually. It's very liturgical for me to actually preach this from Mark. Now, you say, Mark, well, there's a, there's a recount of, of Jesus' resurrection in all of the Gospels. But Mark is like the least popular one. And I'll tell you why. It's because uh, there's no, uh, there's no um, resurrected Jesus that you see. So there's no like disciples touching Jesus' wounds. And there's, there's also no uh, recognizing Jesus in the breaking of bread. There's no miraculous catch of fish and a feeding of Jesus' sheep. That command doesn't exist in Mark. There's, there's no great commission up on the mountaintop. It's not there. In fact, there aren't any even dude disciples at the tomb in Mark's recalling of this story. Rather, there are three women, and I'll tell you who they are. They're Mary Magdalene, and then there's Mary, mother of James, and then there's Salome. Now, these three women, they're not by coincidence, trust me. Nothing is coincidental in the book of Mark. <laughs> Nothing. And so these three would have actually cared for Jesus. 
for him during his time and his ministry in Galilee. These three women would have known Jesus intimately. They would have known him uh, because they would have fed him and they would have, uh, they would have helped wash his clothes. They would have done things for Jesus, right? And, it, and it's very interesting. Another thing is that Mark's retelling of the, of the crucifixion at, at, at Calvary, there are no disciples present there either. Just these three women. There's no coincidence when it comes to Mark. I'm going to read from Mark, the, the resurrection account, and I want you to hear this. I'm going to be reading uh, in chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and take it out. We're doing Mark 16, 1 through 8. I'm going to be reading from the message version, and I'll have it on the screens for you here as well. Here's what Mark says. When the Sabbath was over... Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they could embalm him. Very early on Sunday morning, as the sun rose, they went to the tomb. They worried out loud to each other. Who will roll back the stone from the tomb for us? Then they looked up saw that it had been rolled back. It was a huge stone. And they walked right in. <laughs> they saw young men sitting on the right side, dressed all in white. They were completely taken aback and astonished. He said, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, the one they nailed on the cross. He's been raised up. He's here no longer. You can see for yourselves that the place is empty. Now, on your way, oh, and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there exactly as he said. They got out fast as they could. Beside themselves, their heads swimming, stunned. They said nothing to no one. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, thank you for Easter. Thank you for the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, and for the reality that that brings us. And God, search our hearts and help us, God, to to digest and to grapple with this word from Mark today, God. Point out things in our lives, God, that you want to transform in us. Help us, God, to be made new through the blood of your son, Jesus, who is risen. And it is in his name we pray it all. Amen. They worried. They looked up. They got out as fast as as they could, and they were silent. Let's unpack that a little bit because very important to, to watch these. I mean, we kind of want to relate, right, with, with the ladies here in this story. What does God want us to know through this encounter of the women at the empty tomb? What does God want us to know? This is not John's version of the story. Uh, this, is not Ma- this is not Matthew's version or, or Luke's version of the story. 
Now we, like the women in, in, in Mark's scripture, got up very early this morning, some of us. <laughs> I am glad for crosswalk because Jesus' rise is at 11. That's nice. <laughs> but I will tell you this. This version of the, resurrect, of the resurrection story, it kind of hardly seems right because the, the women worried. And the women looked up. And, the, and then the women got out as fast as they could. And then the women were silent. This is not the, the resurrection story that we're accustomed to on Easter. <laughs> it's just not. So what is going on with Mark? I mean, Mark's church was, after all, built on the testimony and the witness of the disciples, was it not? It's, it's not just an odd ending. It's a surprise ending. We've been talking about covenant. So what do we learn about it from these women? The fear, the trembling, the running, the silence on Easter morning. They worried. They worried. You know, in the minds of these women, here in this story, Jesus is dead. That's a problem. This is despite the, the numerous times that Jesus has, has told them what was going to happen. I, I want to show you a few of them. I want you to just flip back a few pages in your Bible to, to chapter 8 of the very same book. Verse 31, Mark 8, 31. Now Jesus has been ministering with the disciples over in Caesarea Philippi. And right before he tells Peter that famous line, hey, get thee behind me, Satan. This happens. He asks about who, uh, pe uh, who people are saying he is. And so uh, the disciples are responding to him. And they're saying, hey, man, some of them are saying you're John the Baptist. And others are saying, hey, you're Elijah. And then Jesus asks Peter, like, who do you say I am? And Peter says, Christ, the Messiah. We just sang that. Christ, the Messiah. And then Jesus tells them this. It is necessary that the Son of Man proceed to an ordeal of suffering, be tried and found guilty by the elders, high priests, and religious scholars, be killed, and after three days, what? Rise up alive. He said this, get this, simply and clearly so they couldn't miss it, right? <laughs> Now, just flip one chapter forward. Same block of verses. Go into Mark 9, 30 through 32. The crowds this time had been really heavy around Jesus and the disciples. And so Jesus wants to, to work with them. And so Jesus kind of shakes the crowds off by going through Galilee. And, and here's what uh, the word says in verse 30 through 32, Mark 9, 30 through 32. Leaving there, they went through Galilee... He didn't want anyone to know their whereabouts. He wanted to teach his disciples. He told them, this could sound really familiar, the Son of Man is about to be betrayed to some people who want nothing to do with God. They will murder him. Three days after his murder, what does Jesus say? He will rise alive. They didn't know what he was talking about. Here's the fear. Here's the fear. 
but we're afraid to ask him about it. (laughs) Something, isn't it? Now, flip one chapter forward, almost the same block of verses, this time 10, 32 through 34. Jesus is this time talking to his disciples about, hey, who's going to get into this new kingdom, this this sovereignty that you've, you've established through the bloodline of David? Who's getting in? And they start making their way to where Jesus is going to die. And here's what the word says in Mark. Back on the road, they set out for Jerusalem. Jesus had a head start on them. And they were following, puzzled, and not just a little afraid. There it is again. And not just a little afraid. He took the twelve and began again to go over what to expect next. Listen to me carefully. Now these are words out of Jesus' mouth, right? So if, if they really believe that Christ is Messiah and, and, and Christ says, hey, listen to me carefully. Now you would think that they're really going to take this in, right? We're on our way up to Jerusalem. When we get there, the Son of Man will be betrayed to the religious leaders and scholars. They will sentence him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Romans who will mock and spit on him, give him the third degree and kill him. And then you guys, what does it say? After three days, he will rise alive. Now what about that? What about that? At the empty tomb, the disciples are missing in action. And even if the women who've had this history with Jesus, who were there at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified, who were there and watched Jesus be laid into a borrowed tomb by Joseph. Where they saw Joseph lay his body down on a stone tablet and just roll the stone, shut the door on the tomb. And Everything that they've heard Jesus say. These women are also disciples of Jesus. And everything that they've heard him say. And yet, they go to the tomb to do what to Jesus? To bury him. They weren't there to meet the risen God. (laughs) They weren't there to do anything except be full of fear. This is a story of fear, fear, and more fear. And it begs the question, how do we arrive at the empty tomb this morning? How do we arrive? And in all their worry, they didn't even notice what was important until someone finally, finally in the story decides to do what? Look up. (laughs) Look up. Now, how does that sit with those of us who are worry warts? Any of worry warts out here in this crowd? Y'all lying? Come on. How does it set? You know who I'm talking about. The ones who worry about everything. You're constantly trapped in the snares of worry, worry, worry. Is everything going to be okay? Am I going to have everything I need? Is he going to like me? Is she going to like me? Will they like what I wear? It's pink. (laughs) 
Don't be laughing. You're like me. The last thing I thought last night before I closed my eyes, will I be on time? Will I be late? I had to get there at 6.30. It was early. And you know, the women at the tomb, we can't really bag on them too much. They're all like, did you bring the right spices? Did you? Do you have them all? Did you get the frankincense and the myrrh? You know they were. What about fresh grave clothes? I hope you don't think we're burying him in those ones that were on Friday. You saw Joseph, he just slammed the door shut, just laid the body in there, didn't help him. Now we're having to go back to bury him, right? That stone's too heavy for any of us, Kristen. How are we going to get that stone rolled off there? We need Rusty. You know they were worried about all that stuff. They're like, what are we walking into? What are we going to walk into there? Oh, hey, wait. The stone's already rolled open. What do you know? And then they looked up. They were just worried about how to get in, y'all. They failed to recognize all you had to do was just kind of walk in. <laughs> really wasn't that hard at all. And then Mark, Mark, who is, who is not really known for his details in his writing, gives us a whole bunch of them. Let me just list a few. He describes the inside of this empty tomb. There it is. And there's a fella, a young man, dressed in white. Dressed in white. That's on their eye. Some empty grave clothes. But other than that, it's an empty tomb, right? Very interesting. Uh, there's no Jesus. There's no body. There's just a risen Savior. And a promise from this guy. Hey, Jesus is already in Galilee. Tell the disciples, and y'all, go meet him there. And this is where the story gets weird for me. And this is where I'm completely convinced that what Mark is doing is just kind of giving us Jesus' parable, right? It's just one of the parables. It's just like the parables where everything means something. Because right now in this scripture, you know, they're talking to this uh, guy in white clothes who's just proclaimed that Christ is risen, just like Christ said Christ would be. And you would think that one of these women would be like, yippee! That's what I, I mean, wouldn't you? I'd be like, he is risen. Or I might do something very like a high church. Kristen, I might, Stan would be very proud of me. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Right? That's not what they do. That's not what happens. Instead, they get out as fast as they can. They run off in fear. Oh, not just fear. Silence. And that, friends, that fear and that silence is a demonstration of their lack of faith. It's very troubling. It's very troubling on an Easter morning to hear this because if these women who undoubtedly loved Jesus, who undoubtedly had cared for Jesus his whole life, are now running off because their fear is overcoming their faith, then why would any of us stick around here today? <laughs> why? Why would we be the ones proclaiming a risen Savior 
Oh, but Mark, in his brilliant parable, in his brilliant parable, gives us a second chance in this scripture. Mark introduces us to a character that we can finally experience the resurrection of the risen Lord through. A young man who speaks, who's dressed completely in white inside an empty tomb. Now on the surface, it doesn't, it doesn't appear to be anything other than like one of those angel messengers like in the Christmas story, right? Doesn't appear to be anything but that. But, but it can't really be a messenger because this guy isn't telling them any new information. We saw three times already where Jesus had told them all that was going to happen. This has already been proclaimed. He's not giving a message to anyone that they haven't already heard. So he's not a messenger. So what good is he? Mark is a parable teller. He's brilliant at it. Why did Mark include him? Because it isn't the first that we've read about this guy. Let me back us up for a second. Let's go back to the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was arrested. Let's go back there. You remember what happens? The disciples in the garden sleep and then they, Jesus gets arrested and they all scatter and run for their lives. And, and we get this weird verse at the end of that story in Mark. And I want to read it from you. It's about a young man dressed in white. It's just tucked in there. And if you aren't reading carefully, you completely miss it. Mark 14, verses 51 and 52. A young man was following along. All he had on was a bed sheet. Some of the men grabbed him, but he got away, running off naked, leaving them holding the sheet. Now, any time that there's nakedness, this is this culture's way of talking about shame, right? So the fact that, that they take his white clothes and he runs off in shame, it's just like the disciples running off, right? But now we're in the empty tomb. And the guy is back. He's been restored. He's wearing white again. He doesn't have any shame. You know why? Because the tomb is empty. Because Christ is risen. That should fire us up and get us so bloody excited. Because it's our story too. <laughs> He's restored. He is present. He's dressed in white and restored. And he's proclaiming the risen Savior. What do you think they should do? I would say like, dance! <laughs> Maybe they should bow down in awe and reverence. Maybe they should fall to their knees and cry. Maybe they should sing, Hallelujah! The Lamb of God is risen. 
but they ran as fast as they could. And we sometimes run too. If you haven't been around here, let me just share one quick thing with you. I ran for 12 years. I ran. I ran from God. I couldn't handle the truth. I couldn't handle a risen Christ. But the truth was, for me, he wasn't in the empty tomb. I tried to put him there. And I think we can all say and kind of own the fact that we worry. We worry a lot, amen? And when we do, we put Jesus in the tomb and we try to bury him. What do you think the Apostle Paul means when he writes to his church in Philippi and says things like, hey friends, worry about nothing and pray about everything. That's not a person who's, who's, who's saying that at a grave. That's a person writing from an empty tomb. <laughs> Amen? And then we let the, sometimes the, the enemy come in and steal our happiness, right? We all have some. Sometimes we go through seasons where we don't feel like there is any, but we all have some. We're all here together this morning. I'm happy about that. But sometimes we let the enemy steal that. Why do you think that Paul tells his church at Thessalonica, I have joy in every circumstance. That's not a man writing from a graveside. That's a man writing from an empty tomb. Paul isn't showing up at a grave. Paul is writing from an empty tomb. <laughs> and despite all that we know about Jesus and about Jesus' resurrection, we sometimes show up at a grave once a year to throw some Easter lilies on the grave, to pay our respect, throw some fresh flowers on Jesus' grave. We treat the resurrection of Jesus kind of like we treat our own dead. We barely mean it. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. But look up. Because Jesus is not on the cross. <laughs> and Jesus is not on a tomb. Jesus is alive. And because of it, Resurrection is not some past event that we're here to celebrate. Resurrection is an experience. Our experience. Amen? Band, y'all better get up here because we're going to worship. You know what I'm saying? So when I look at you and I say, Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Yes, now let's worship. Amen.